the scripture reading for today is actually out of um, Revelation, and it's chapter 6, verse 9 through 11. And it says, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. And they cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, uh, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. morning. If we could uh, make sure the computer, John, is on X32 for Wi-Fi. Thank you, brother, so much. I couldn't think of a more exciting, more wonderful passage of scripture um, to launch onto sabbatical with than Stephen. So if you've got your Bibles, I'd love for you to open them up to Acts chapter 6, Acts chapter 6, and you open up your Bible to the middle, and you start working your way towards the right, you're going to hit Matthew as the first gospel in the New Testament, then Mark, then Luke, then John, and then the book of Acts. Acts is this wonderful book that Luke writes to Theophilus. To encourage Theophilus and that these is the, this is the continuing work of Jesus Christ. Acts is this beautiful book of what the church, what Jesus has come, he's resurrected, he's seated at the right hand of God the Father in heaven. And this is what the church is supposed to continue doing and continue to be um, after living out the truths of who Jesus Christ is. So in Acts chapter 6. We start and begin this morning. Let me pull up my slides real quick. In Acts chapter 6, we begin to read about this man named Stephen. Stephen is an incredible, incredible person in the story of the early church. And it's very exciting to, to think and to contemplate this person at such an early stage of the church and his incredibly powerful belief and faith. Let me see here if this is going to work today. We'll see. He may be doing my slides for me. Oh, there you go. All right. In Acts chapter 6, starting in verse 1, we reread. Oh, I'm in Luke, the other one. See, I had my glasses on. I have glass confusion every once in a while because I need both the short range and the long range glasses kind of thing going on. I know, I know. You know, the optometrist, completely a side note, the optometrist, Dr. Scott, told me that, um, do, do, you, do you really want bifocals? I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, um, you know, do you, do you mind taking the glasses on and putting the other glasses off and doing that? I said, no, I don't think it'll be that bad. He goes, come back and see me when you really went bifocals. <laughs> I'm getting there. I'm getting there, okay? 
<laughs> Acts chapter 6. <clears throat> now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, and we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And Philip and Procurus and Nicanor and Timon, not Timon and Puba, but Timon, okay? <laughs> Some of you didn't even get that. And, and Permenius and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles and they prayed and they laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. church has an issue. The church has a problem. You know, this is a great problem to have because the church now is different than the Jewish faith previously and that the Jewish faith previously was primarily 90%, 99% comprised of Jews. Now, all of a sudden, the church comes onto the scene and the Holy Spirit comes down on the day of Pentecost and all of a sudden, through Peter and through the apostles, all of a sudden, all these people in different languages, different tribes, and different tongues are hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ being proclaimed in their language, and they're coming to faith. And so they've got this wonderful problem, but the church is multi-ethnic. It's beautiful. All of a sudden, it goes about being from this one nation of people to now all these different nations of people, and it's beautiful, and it's problematic, and it's messy. And all of a sudden, we've got a problem within the church. And what happens is you've got this daily giving of food for the widows. And there was a, there was a strict requirement of what was defined as a widow. Okay? And there's this, there was the Hebrew widows, and then there was the Hellenists, or the Greek widows. And the, the Jewish widows were being taken care of. And they, were, they were having people serve them and minister to them, but the Greek widows weren't. Now, what's fabulous about this passage is if you were to look at these names and study these names, there's such wisdom and such insight by the apostles and the disciples as they come together to church and they pray. Okay, remember? They pray. And here we go. Here's this pattern again. They pray about this problem that they're having within the church. And they're asking the Holy Spirit to lead them and guide them in choosing Holy Spirit-filled godly men who will help serve the Hellenists. Well, the Holy Spirit leads them to pick Greeks. These are Greek names. He leads them to pick Greeks to serve the Greek widows. And you're like, well, that makes good sense. Well, absolutely it does. Because if you're going to go ask Hebrew people to take care of Greek widows, you, you really wouldn't ask the Greek men to take care of the Jewish widows because there's different cultural differences in the food and the way it's served and all the customs that have been practiced. Okay? And so it's really a genius, wonderful administrative move by the apostles led by the Holy Spirit to take care of these widows. And amongst these is this individual who is filled with faith and the Holy Spirit. 
You talk about something that you would love to have written on your tombstone. Filled with faith, here lies Steve. Here lies Mort. Here lies Scott. I would love to see it. And he was filled with faith and the Holy Spirit. What a great thing that you couldn't have given Stephen a higher compliment. But here was this man, and this is, was his reputation. This was his reputation amongst the people, Jews and Greeks alike. That here is this man, presumably a Greek individual, Stephanos, Stephen, that is versed in the faith, and he is a man who is full of faith. That means when he encounters situations in his life, he's looking to Jesus for the solutions and the answers. He's not a man filled with worry, shame, guilt, or regret. He's a man of faith. He's a man who wants the Holy Spirit to lead him in life and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he jumps onto this scene. And what's really cool about this statement is here is this man, this individual who loves Jesus, full of faith, full of the Spirit. And what's he called to do first for God? Serve. You see, as we look at this idea this morning of, I believe, Acts 6 and Acts 7 are describing something that is better than life. And Stephen shows this wonderful aspect of himself when he comes on the scene here and they say, you know what, Stephen, you're full of faith, you're full of the Holy Spirit, we see this in you, we see your heart for God, and so we'd like you to serve the widows. And he steps in and he faithfully serves the widows. Now there's something that's very interesting about this passage, is how this section concludes with this wonderful statement here in verse 7, and the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Now, we beat up on the religious leaders of that time a lot, don't we? <laughs> the scripture seems to paint them in a pretty negative light. But we do every once in a while see glimpses of, of religious leaders that were truly desirous to follow hard after God and be obedient to God. And this Jesus coming and dying upon the cross for the sins and rising from the grave is, is mind-blowing to them because of their whole lives they spent praying for the Messiah. Their whole lives they spent living these religious ways and, and the temple and being obedient to God in these things and trying to live for God here. And all of a sudden they come to this point and it's difficult to them. But it seems like the one thing that was God used to minister to these priests is guess what? The church is taking care of the people within the church. The church is caring for the needs. Now, if you remember back in Isaiah, there was a huge accusation made against the elders of the people of Israel. That God accuses them through the prophet Isaiah saying, you are a wicked, selfish, horrible bunch of elders because you don't care for the widows and the orphans. And here in this passage, we just want to gloss over this. And, and sometimes when we read it, we're like, oh, that's so good that they were taking care of the widows. It ministered, I believe, to other people's hearts when they saw that the church cares for those in need and ministers to them. And it causes other people to go, 
That is the love of God. And I believe we live in a world more than ever that needs to see living stone people, living stone believers in Jesus Christ, they need to see us caring for and loving each other and caring for each other's needs and ministering to the needs of our people. And in this ministration of administratively thinking well, as we care for one another and serve one another well, it is a a channel, an avenue through which the gospel of Jesus goes forth and it demonstrates to the world God has come. And that we are his people and that we are demonstrating his love towards others. We see this in Stephen's life as he steps up. He's a man full of faith. And you may say, hey, reading the description of Stephen here, right here, isn't that a little bit underuse of his abilities? Right? In a minute, we're going to see Stephen give this incredible message to the religious leaders. But, you know, come on, really? Just serving the widows? Don't you think he would have been better put to use preaching a Sunday message or being appointed to, to, to do this ministry? And, and what we see is Stephen faithfully served. We see that the, it pleased the people in verse Five And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, and then lift off the rest of the names. And they sat before the apostles, and they prayed and laid hands on them. And the ministry, the work that they were doing was complete, and it was good for the body of believers. So much so that it, other people came to faith in Jesus Christ. Why do you think the evil one wants to come in and split and ruin churches? Cause, and cause churches to divide over the silliest of things, the color of the carpet, the, should we have music by a piano or by an organ, should there be drums, Is it, should it be a cappella, buildings and all sorts of stuff, you know, should we have stained glass or no stained glass? I mean, you're like, churches split and divide over this. Why? Because the message that goes out from that is there is no love to be found within the church. Rather, we're just a bunch of divisive people that are hung up on our consumeristic mindsets, and we bring that with us to every Sunday. What I love about Living Stone is I see those chains and those shackles falling off this body of believers right and left. I am so pumped. And I, and I think that we watched that Francis Chan video well back um, while we were in the, the gym. And people took hold of that. I've had more comments about that, that video that we watched together because he talked about us just desiring that the purpose of the church body, that our worship for God together might be a single wisp of smoke before the throne of God. That that's what we're here for. We're not here for to find out what we like and all the, those other things, but rather to be coming together with one heart and one mind to be a wisp of smoke before the throne of God as we praise and glorify him. And we're, we're believing that. And this body is serving each other. And I want to encourage you, if you are serving this body of believers, thank you. You know, our last meeting, we on uh, last Sunday, we got up here and we went through all the different ministries of the church. We have a lot of people serving. Well, we have, we have need for more. We have need for more. Little little side note here, guess what? Um, we're going to paint this room. We've already got the paint. Have you seen those holes that have been spackled? Thank you, Paul and John, for doing that. But we're, we're going to need some help painting. And so, John, raise your hand. He's back corner over there. Go see John. Like, hey. I can, like, get messy and paint this room and serve each other and have a great time serving God and each other as we paint this room. 
And when we're serving God, as Lois is going to share God's story later about how, how God is working in her life and how this church body is loving on her and encouraging her and what God's doing. And we got stories that are going out. That this church body is serving one another. We're praying for each other. We're entering into the messiness of life of each other. We're, we're committing to walk through sin and brokenness together. You know, it breaks my heart. I was, I was having dinner or lunch with a dear friend yesterday, and he shared with me about a pastor friend of him that he came, him and his wife came before the, the they were part of a denomination. They came before the head of the denomination, and, and they're like, you know, we got this, this struggle that we're dealing with. And you know what they did? They kicked him out. You're done. I love that Livingstone is not going to be that place. I love that Livingstone is going to be a place that when you say we're, we're struggling with this sin and we're struggling with this, that we're going to lock shields with you. We're going to come around you. We're going to say we're going to walk through this because the glory of God can help you overcome this. The grace of God is more than sufficient to see you have victory over this in your life and have a future in him and his glory. And that looks like us serving one another. And I'm excited about that. I, people have asked me, a lot of people, are you really nervous to be going on sabbatical and, and leaving the church? I was like, well, first, it's not mine. It's God's, okay? But no, are you kidding me? I think Livingstone is in a fantastic place right now. I see health like I've never seen health here before. I see people wanting to serve each other, wanting to get to know one another. Walls being broken down, people caring for each other's hearts. And no, I'm not in trouble. I just want to squelch that, okay? The elders love me, and I love them, okay? So, you know, we're, we're, we're going to go in. The elders are going to do a great job of preaching and teaching God's word. And I'm going to go and just spend a lot more time with my God and my family, and it's going to be good. But it, to go through this well means that we're going to serve each other, and I think we're in a great place to see this body serve one another. And the world is going to look, because What's crazy? The valley knows I'm taking off for two months. And I'm, I'm sure there's bets out there. Oh, they're going to make it like two weeks, three weeks. Right? No, at the end of that time, we're going to be able to see, you see, the body of Christ was serving each other. And that's what we do. Livingstone serves one another and cares for each other's needs like Steve. That we have this mentality of, Lord, show me where to serve. Lord, lean, let me lean in on my day so that I may be ready to serve whoever you put in front of me this day. Spirit, lead me into more service. Lead me to be poured out for you. The next section is quite large, and I'm not going to read through all of it. Hopefully you read ahead this week. Um, in Acts 6, 7 to 53, we see some things take place. Stephen is full, again, verse 8, Stephen is full of grace and power and was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Stephen is a channel, is a conduit for the work of God. He is serving God in such a way that he's also doing signs and wonders. And it doesn't specifically name what those signs and wonders were. But he was able to speak about the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was able to speak about his Messiah, his Savior, in such a way that people could not argue against him. They were confounded too. A whole group, a whole synagogue of religious leaders came together to, to try to stop him, to try to trick him. You know, a lot of this begins to sound like what they did to Jesus as we read about Stephen. And, and we can say and elevate, and I want to throw this out there ahead of time. We, we can look at Stephen's life, and part of us wants to say that's radical faith. And I would challenge you. It's not radical faith. That's normative faith. 
but a radical call. It's normative faith. And that he knows and he walks with God so much that when people come together and they want to confound him and trip him up, he is leaning in and God is talking through him by the power of the Holy Spirit that they finally have to result to lies in order to bring him before the Sanhedrin. They have to resort to lies that he's, he's speaking false things about Moses and false things about God. And what's going to be beautiful in the sermon that he preaches here shortly, he, he demonstrates, are you kidding me? You guys are the ones that are talking wrong about Moses and God. And I'm going to correct your bad theology. I'm going to correct the story that you think you know. And so he's brought before the Sanhedrin. And what's beautiful about Stephen is Stephen, is his life shows and demonstrates that he's ready to serve. He's ready to serve with his life. My life is not my own. So guess what? When you call me to serve, I'm going to serve. And if it's serving food to widows, praise be to God. I'm going to do it to his glory. And I'm going to do it in such a way that people look around me going, man, there's the love of God being poured out and demonstrated. He's also ready to speak. Stephen is ready to speak when called upon and proclaim the truth of God. And he does so in this beautiful statement. And verse, chapter 7, verse 1 seems to be this pivotal hinge point in the story of Stephen. It says here, so the high priest said, are these things so? Now, this was Stephen's point of getting out of this mess. At this point, Stephen could have said, well, you know, I'm not sure. You know, I didn't really, you know, personally meet Jesus. These disciples, the apostles, they're kind of weird. Peter talks a lot. You know, John's pretty tenderhearted and all that. He's way too emotional for me and touchy-feely. You know, he could have opted out at this point. He could have said, you know what, I'm scared, and I, you know, I'm not sure. But instead, he dives in, because why? He is filled with what? The Holy Spirit. And this is what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit empowers the believers who are in Jesus Christ to proclaim the gospel of Jesus, to proclaim the story of God. And that's exactly what Stephen does. He takes it back to Abraham. But what's interesting is he tells the story of God, how God used Abraham, how God used Joseph, how God used Moses, how God used these instrumental people. But each one of them, as he begins to tell the story, he also underlines the areas where there was problems going on in the midst of this. Abraham, did you obey God perfectly? No. Abraham was called to get up and go. And he got up and went a little bit and then stopped because daddy was sick. Well, daddy wasn't supposed to go. So daddy dies. And then I love what it says here. It says about Abraham, verse 9, uh, excuse me, verse 3, and, and said to him, go out from your land and from your kindred and go out into the land that I will show you. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. Again, what? You were supposed to go. And after his father died, God removed him from there. I love that. Okay. God said, guess what? It's time for you to really go now. And God pushed him out of Iran. God moved him in such a way that it was God's work being done in the life of Abraham. And Abraham goes. And Abraham follows God. And God makes this covenant with Abraham that through his seed, he will make a great nation. That through his seed, all nations will be blessed. He makes this great promise to Abraham, even though Abraham is this you know, sinful guy who doesn't do it perfectly. 
goes on to then talk about Joseph, and then comes to go and talk about, first off, it goes Isaac, and then Jacob, and Jacob's 12 sons, and Joseph was one of those sons, and it goes in to talk about how Joseph was, was given grace by God, and he was, as his brother sold him into slavery, and Joseph finds favor with Pharaoh, becomes powerful in the land of Egypt, and God uses Joseph's position that he put him in to save his people from the drought and the famine taking place, but not just to save him from that moment, but so that they might multiply and become great underneath slavery. And so that God might show his might, his power, and his redeeming ability as he rescues the people from slavery and they walk out of Egypt as a great nation. And a very powerful point, Stephen, when he's telling this story, he says, God did all that through Moses. God was clearly using Moses. God was clearly, Moses was God's clearly his prophet. And none of you would deny that, that he was God's prophet. But yet the people rejected the truth of what Moses said and told Aaron to build a calf. He built this calf. And it wasn't just this instance. He, he summarizes a whole lot more history of Israel in these next few lines. And he, he makes this statement that you guys have chosen to worship other gods, other gods, and other gods. And because of that, you will, they faced exile. Then he makes this wonderful statement. David wanted to build a house for God. God wouldn't let him, so Solomon, his son, did. What thing made with human hands can tan contain the glory of God? You see, it was never meant to be a religion that worshipped Abraham. It was never meant to be a religion that worshipped Isaac or Jacob or Joseph or Moses or any of the prophets. Because none of those things... Can, none of those things can contain, that the, they build, that they put up, can contain the glory of God. Jesus has come, and you missed it, and he throws this stabbing remark of them here at the end of this passage. And he says to them, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in hearts and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. Now, what's very interesting here, oftentimes when I've read this or I've thought about this, I'm thinking Stephen is just going for the jugular here. He's like, knockout punch. He's like, I'm going to just take you guys down. Stephen is telling them, you have sinned like your forefathers have sinned. You've joined them in the same sin. And let me tell you something. You may think that that's lacking mercy or grace at this moment. It is actually very grace-filled moment because he is confronting them with their sin. He is ready to speak. He is ready to show them how the story of God really went and that there's only one great prophet, and that is Jesus Christ. And they put him to death. But even God, even what Jesus did on the cross, can redeem them of that, and they too can believe. See, I want you to understand something. God desires us to be ready to speak at a moment's notice. In the army, we always joke around as prophets, I mean, as prophets, excuse me, as preachers, whoo. <laughs> chaplains, um, that uh, we have to be able to, to preach, pray, and die at a moment's notice, okay? 
Well, guess what? As Christians, we have to be ready to speak the truth of who God is and to share his story at any given moment. And the great news to that calling is that we aren't going to be the ones. It will not be our power that with which we will speak, but rather it's supposed to be with the Holy Spirit's power and authority that we're ready to speak. That we're to be ready. We're to be ready when we're like walking through Walmart and somebody bumps into us and they start telling us like, man, my brother just died. And I don't know the, what is this life for? What is the meaning of all this stuff? I mean, if we're just going to work so hard and you know, die at such a young age, why? There's your moment. The story of God brings hope to that situation. When we receive bad news about family, about friends, about health, about life, we have those moments to speak into each other's lives the story of God because the story of God is what brings hope in those moments, in those situations and circumstances. We are filled with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit enables us, teaches us by the Word of God to be ready to speak with love, with graciousness, and sometimes ready to speak means that when somebody's struggling with something, you have to say to them, listen, you know, it's like you got a friend that maybe is, is struggling with alcohol, and, and you're like, their marriage is falling apart, the kids aren't, don't want to be around them because it gets ugly when he's struggling with, their, with alcohol. Let me tell you what, you may have to, you probably will have to tell the person, man, he's like, I don't get it, I'm a good dad, I'm a good husband, I buy these nice things for me, I provide for my family, and you have to, may have to say to him, but buddy, A, you need Jesus. And apart from Jesus, your marriage doesn't have much hope. And, and, and the, the reason that your, your life is, is struggling is because you don't have Jesus. And, and Jesus is going to call you to a life where you don't need to be reliant on alcohol. You can be totally reliant on the Holy Spirit, totally reliant on the power of God. And it can deliver you from that so that your marriage may be restored and renewed. And you can lead the way you're supposed to lead. You see, for some reason, this day and age, and, and people think to be a Christian is to be restricted from stuff. And I'm here to tell you, God doesn't restrict us from nothing. He gives us the best, the abundant life in him. And that's a message we need to be ready to speak. It's not about doing away with things. It's about gaining everything. But it does involve surrender. It does involve dying to ourselves. It does involve admitting what I've got planned, what I know of life to be, is bad. It's not good. It's self-serving. It's damaging. But what God's got, that's good. That's glorious. That's the abundant life. Brothers and sisters, we have a message of hope. Stephen had a message of hope. Let me teach you once again what you think you already know but you've missed. You're a lot more like the forefathers that rejected the message of Moses than you are of Moses' pursuit of God. Joseph's pursuit of God, of Abraham's pursuit of God. You're stiff-necked like them. But we know, and we see it in the book of Acts a lot, that when we're ready to speak, when the gospel goes forth, 
we will face obstacles. We will face pushback. I'm telling you, as this church continues to pray and the Spirit moves forward and hearts and lives are changed, we're going to face opposition like we've never faced before. And God is going to use that for his glory and our good. And we are going to learn to need the Holy Spirit in ways we've never learned to need him before. Because remember, a couple weeks ago I shared that illustration of the V8 motor. Some of you really like that. Some of you are still scratching your heads, okay? The church is like that V8 motor, right? And we're running at optimal performance. I'm not talking a little, little like, toned down thing. I'm talking about a race car engine that is built to go fast. I had, a buddy of mine had one of those, and he put me in the car seat next to him, and I thought I was going to have to peel my back of my head out of the seat when he got done taking me down the road. It was fun. It was scary, but it was fun. Right? And that motor is, you know, it's loud. And it's like, but that's what the church is supposed to be, this, this high-speed, low-drag thing that is sucking up fuel like crazy. And that fuel we need is the Holy Spirit. And God is going to take us there, that we're moving so fast that we're like, Lord, I'm gonna, if, if the Holy Spirit doesn't fill me right now, I'm falling flat on my face this next moment. This desperate need for God. Acts that's the church in Acts, guys. I hope, gals, I hope you're getting that. The church in Acts isn't this calm, tame little thing. Signs and wonders. Power of God poured out. You kidding me? Nothing, nothing calm about this. You're like, man, you do need to go on sabbatical. So next, next Sunday we're going to calm down sermon. I don't get John's preaching. I don't think that's going to happen. Not only was Stephen ready to serve and ready to speak Stephen was ready to die now when they would heard these things they were enraged when the gospel is shared there's either acceptance, belief, faith or rejection there's no middle ground they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him basically this is a statement in the, in the language, early languages that mean that they were, they were not just mad. They were, I mean, some of us may have not even been this mad in their lifetime, in your lifetime. But they were ready to put their fists through walls, kick things, punch things. They're no longer even thinking clearly. They're so filled with hate. It spews forth from them. If you've ever watched a movie where a guy's so angry that spit's just kind of flying out of his mouth and like, or, you know, comment or in a cartoon or something like that. That's these people at this moment. They're grinding their teeth. They hate him. They hate his words. They hate the fact that they, he just called them sinners. They hate the fact that they, he just told them that they need Jesus. They hate the fact that they were told that they were like those forefathers that stoned the prophets which is completely ironic because guess what's about ready to happen. And but he, full of the Holy Spirit, again, what a great statement of Stephen, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Don't miss this. I just got chills just thinking about it. We, when we share the creed, where do we say Jesus is at? But where is seated? Son 
of man. Jesus Christ rises to welcome his child. And he said, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. When they cried out with a loud voice, stop their ears. Basically, this is them covering up the ears because they don't want to hear this blasphemy from this man. And they rushed together at him, and then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Now, it's very interesting. Why would they take off their garments? Because they didn't want to get him sweaty? No, because stoning is a very up-close and personal matter. It's not me from me to Steve stoning. It's me from Lois stoning. And it's not picking up little pebbles. It's picking up large rocks. And it's so that brain matter and blood does not get on their outer garments. They lay their garments at Saul's feet. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Sound familiar? Christ cried out to his father. And following, falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. We could tend to want to idolize Stephen at this point. Craft an image of him, put him on a mantle, pray to him not the purpose of this passage. The purpose of this passage is so that God can show what is going on in the early church. So that we can see individuals who understand the calling of what it is to follow Jesus. You see, Stephen understood understood that there is something better than life. He understood that the only way life has any meaning, any value, any purpose is to be ready to serve, be ready to speak, and be ready to die for the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Stephen understood his life his wasn't his own to possess or to hold. It's God's. And if God chooses to give him this ending to his life, then it's for his glory and Stephen's good. To live for Christ is better. It's the greatest good. To live our lives as they're not our own, but they're his, is the greatest thing that we can live for. To understand that God calls us not to work for the Forest Service or to work for hotels or to, to work at Safeway or to work at the hospitals or work at you know, all the different places we work at or even to retire. That, that doing those things isn't, is so much greater and so much better because we can do them for the glory of God and we can do them putting the gospel on display through our lives. Those things only have any meaning because they're avenues through which the gospel can be shared and spread. 
You know, we face devastating news almost weekly. In, in different pockets of our church family, we face it. And we wonder why, God, why did you do this? And But the answer that comes from the story of Stephen is so beautiful. So that God can be glorified. So that God can be praised. So that God can do marvelous things through us, in us. And what the beauty of this is, we think this story is an individual story, but the whole church is looking on. That's what's going on with Stephen. He was a servant within the church. He was doing signs and wonders. He was loved by the church family. To lose him was a great loss. But it was for the benefit of the church because it was for the glory of God. And it's the benefit of us to understand our life is not our own. It belongs to God. And we see in this here, this wonderful story, very close similarities to Jesus and Stephen. Understand, Stephen knows that it was Jesus who was the greater. Jesus was the one that went to the cross and died and rose again. Stephen wasn't dying for anybody's sins. Jesus was dying for all those who would believe in him and receive him. Stephen recognized that his death was not a worship for himself, but a worship to God. He wanted to promote Jesus even within his last breath. And if you wonder, was, was Stephen really trying to see these people come to faith and repent of their sins? His last statement makes that super clear. Lord, don't hold this against them. Don't give up on them. Give them another opportunity to hear the gospel. Give them another chance to believe so that this won't be held against them, so that they'll be with you in glory, so that I, with the people who stoned me, will worship around your throne. That's the beauty and the glory of God. That's what it means to live a life that is better. To live a life that is for the purpose and the glory of God. And before we want to say, well, that's, that's radical faith. No, no, no. It's normative faith. That's what God calls us to. That's what God calls us all to live for and towards. It's a radical call to die that way. It's not normative to be martyred for your faith. I think Revelation makes that explicitly clear. When it talks about these individuals and their prayers and the special role that they have to play in God's kingdom work. I encourage you. There, there's some great books out there. Fox's Book of Martyrs. Um, DC Talks, Jesus Freaks. There's Rebecca St. James's We're Going Through a Girl called Jesus Freaks, but it's or Sister Freaks. They talk about people who have surrendered their lives for the glory of God. It's good for us to read those stories. It's a good for us to be reminded that God has called us to something more. And, and that's people of all ages in this room. All ages. I'm excited. I'm excited to come back on April 9th. And to hear what God's doing in your lives. God's already pulling people out to go and follow him. I'm gonna, I know they're going to be here next week. 
I think next Sunday will be their last Sunday, Tim and Jessica. I'm bummed. I want more time with them, but they're going to, God has pulled them out and going to gave, gave Tim a new job over on the wet side, so be praying for them as they deal with grace clouds like 10 months out of the year. And, but God's got a call for them, and God's been at work in their lives. And this church body, and Tim wanted me to make sure you knew this, this church body ministered to their families and increased, helped to increase their faith. And what the work that they're going to go do, we got to be a part of because we're, it's the church. They're a part of our family. And will remain so even though they're not present with us. God is hearing and spirits moving in other people's lives as well. Is, um, this is a hard one, you turkey. Yeah. So Nigel and Nicole um, have become a very much loved part of our church. They live in East Wenatchee, um, and they needed to come up here for a time, and and they just jumped in. Nigel did a bunch of preaching for me and gave me some breaks, and Nicole has been serving faithfully as right now in, in the nursery and, and, and serving this body, and, and God is putting upon their heart they need to get involved in their community. And so this is going to be one of their last Sundays with us. We'll miss them. And it's hard. And Christy said it. I said it yesterday when we were at dinner with lunch with them. And she said, yeah, this sucks. <laughs> and, and, and it's hard. But God is going to do something amazing with that couple. And I think that we all know that. They're very gifted and equipped. And God's going to do something great with them too. And we're going to be a part of what God's going to do through them in East Wenatchee, in their neighborhood, and in their community down there. As a pastor, that's hard, but as a pastor, I couldn't be more excited because I'm watching people respond to the calling of the gospel. We pray, the Holy Spirit moves, lives and hearts are changed, and the church comes alive. That's what we're praying for every day at 6 o'clock. Every day. And I'm loving it. So that Stephen's story can come alive in us. Not to worship Stephen, but to understand, to truly understand who Stephen served. Who Stephen spoke of. And who Stephen died for. I was going to close out with a song today, but how many of y'all listen to rap music? Okay, so like six people in here would like to hear the lyrics. I kind of figured, I kind of figured that, um, that it would be lost on some folks. Um, there's a gentleman called Lecrae who speaks very, very powerfully. And he sings this song or he raps this song. I don't think you call it singing it. I think you call it rapping it. Um, called Go Hard. And the song opens up with like 34 times they say this over and over again, go hard or go home, Lord, use me up. And then he goes into the first verse, Lord, kill me if I don't preach the gospel. I'm still in my 20s, but I'll die if I've got to. Already dead, so forget my flesh. 
had done been crossed over, see the full court press. I'm a full court mess if the Lord don't use me. Running from my trials, thinking everything's groovy. If the cross don't move me, then I don't want to breathe no more. If I ain't seeing Christ, partner, I don't want to see no more. Rep every day without worrying about bruising. I've been to China. Man, I've seen some real persecution. If you don't know them, would your life look the same? Can they tell you value Jesus by the way you rep his name? Man, what's the point of living if I'm living for myself? Lord, empty out my life before I put you on the shelf. So for God, I got to go hard. I don't want to die tonight. If it's too many people living who ain't heard about my Christ. Go hard or go home. Lord, use me up. Went to Asia, had to duck and hide for sharing my faith. They tell me, water it down when I'm back in the States. They say, tone down the music. You might sell a lot more records. But it's people out here dying, and none of them heard the message. Took my wifey on a mission trip to Central America, shared her testimony. Forty people stood and stared at her when she said, Jesus, should have seen it. It was insane because 40 out of 40 never heard Jesus' name. Oh, man, we ain't focused on the war. We're just kicking it. Worried about our image and our space up on the Internet. Take me out of the game, coach. I don't want to play no more. If I can't give it all I've got and leave it out there on the court. Thank you for the grace, for the will and the desire got me living for your glory instead of living to retire. But I pray I'll never tire of going hard for Messiah. I don't need no motivation. You're the reason I'm inspired. Go hard or go home. Not just in houses, with our Bibles, summarizing what we read. Man, this ain't deep. Why ain't we doing what we read? It's like we're asleep. But sinners sleepwalk when they sleep, so why can't we? The redeemed of the Lord act out what he said and make a scene for the Lord. Loud, noisy, V8 motor. Running on all cylinders. Completely dependent on the Holy Spirit. On fire for God. It's my prayer. It will be my prayer for you while I'm gone. That you'll come to understand God has so much for your life. The mundane things you think you do on a daily basis, getting out of bed and going to jobs or doing the things, that volunteering at Habitat or doing what you think that, am I really making a difference? Just put God on display. Be ready to serve. Be ready to speak out. And if God says it's time to go home, go home in a way that just puts God's glory on display. Father God, thank you.
for this church body. Thank you for the incredible things that are taking place here by the power of your spirit. I thank you for the willingness of this church body to want to be used and desire it. I thank you for the people that are praying, and I pray, Lord God, that we wouldn't grow tired of this, and it wouldn't just become something that's commonplace, and then we just dismiss or delete from our phones, like, oh, I really wish we'd stop getting these texts, but rather be convicted in that moment if that's how we're feeling, and pray even more. Lord God, we pray that this, this body of believers would have that hope, would they have that confident expectation that God is going to do something good in the future of this community. And that he's going to use everybody in this church body to do it as we lean on each other, as we serve one another, as we proclaim the gospel together, as we tell God's story to the nations. I thank you for the opportunity to serve next to these wonderful believers to be in the trenches with him. Thank you, Jesus. You are such a great, glorious and good God. Thank you for the story of Stephen. In Jesus' name we pray. And by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So I think it's a good time to roll into some God stories. What do you think? I, Lois, I mean, before you even raise your hand, I'm just going to hand you the mic, okay? You start us off? Hello. All right, you start us off. Hey, guys, here I am again. I'm the smallest person here, and I talk more than anybody. <laughs> but you guys have all been with me on this journey of mine. Me and Bill, you were there with us every minute, and then when he went... I didn't know what to do next, but thank God for the people here. We had a meeting at my house the day after Bill's service, and my pastor was there. I was so glad. Kathy Iyer, Kathy Furman, people that love me and my family. And I thought, man, Lord, they're just rushing me into something. And I gave my daughter such a hard time, her and Jeff, because I thought they were just trying to get rid of me. And you know what? God's took me down a few notches. And with all your love and support here, and my daughter's love and support, I've made it. But only because this is what God planned for my life. I didn't know where I was going then, but my son-in-law told me, three months they said you were going to be able to move into Heritage. So we talked back and forth about what was going to happen to me in that three months. And you know what? My Scott brought out Guy got Evans to my house, a wonderful born-again realtor. And that man has been there with me. He's prayed with me. When I was hurting for Bill, he would just stop and pray. And, you know, he put my house on the market about the 2nd of January. It closed on the 31st of January. And last Saturday, I was talking to the Lord about that because I thought, Lord, my house is going to be gone. I'm not in heritage yet. So I prayed, Kathy Iyer encouraged me, Ruth Reinhardt told me last Sunday on the way home, it will happen when it's God's timing, Lord. I knew that, you guys. My faith is in God always. I walked in my house after that wonderful time at church last Sunday. I was already ecstatic with praise. And there was a message from the lady at Heritage. I called her back 
and she says, we're going to have a room for you ready on the 9th of February. I just began to praise the Lord right there to her because I just got excited and I told her exactly what was going on, what God had done in my life. I said, Amanda, God did this right on time. And she just said, okay. And <laughs> she told me, Lois, I'm looking forward to meeting you, boy. Is she in for a surprise, huh? <laughs> because I'm just going to tell everybody up there about God constantly. That's what God has opened up a whole new chapter in my life, you people. I'm going to be 80 on the 1st of May. I'm moving into Heritage next weekend, and I'm going to have a whole new group of people to witness to. Uh, and let me tell you something. This church, by our pastor talks about you serving people. My dining table in my house has had more church food on it than anybody in the whole world. If we had it all together, it would feed a nation. <laughs> but that's what these people here have done, and they keep doing it. You know, they've not let me down not one time. I am so thankful for every one of you. And when I talk to people out there, God's opening doors, so don't get discouraged. The title lady said to me, Lois, what's the secret of your long marriage? Well, then she got my message about God <laughs> right off of the bat. I told her, you go home and do that, and yours will last. Found out she was already married, but... I said, just make God the head of your family. So see, people are wanting to know all this, you guys. So just be strong. I know you will. Everybody loves everybody here. Over this community out here, talk about our living stone. We used to be little stoners, you know? And it was just so good when we became living stoners. It's so much better. But let me tell you, we are well known in this community. So keep up what you're doing. And I can never thank God enough, but there'll be another chapter pretty quick here. So. Amen. Okay, I love you all. Thank Amen. you. Thank you, Liz. I don't know that I can really follow that up, Lois, but I'm excited for your next chapter. And I'm going to tell my coworkers that I'm going to start delivering the meds up there so that I can see you every or twice a week because I want to know what happens up there. <laughs> so um, I've said this before. I work at the pharmacy, Lakeshore Pharmacy, and I know a lot of you from there. Um, but I really feel that's my ministry. Um, I have an amazing group that I work with. I went from being the youngest every time so now I'm the oldest one in the group. I'm not sure how I feel about that, but um, my one particular coworker, she has been here with me before. Um, I call her, and not to offend anybody, but she's my Mexican sister, and I am her Blanca sister. We spend a lot of time together, ministering to each other, just talking, and just enjoying being a family. I have bonfires in my front yard, not in the yard, but in a fire pit. She invited her in-laws over, and it's just become this amazing community that we're building. So yesterday we went to Wenatchee, for those of you that know, and I told the kids, don't tell anybody, but I'm going to tell anyway. <clears throat> we all went down to the shelter, the animal shelter. They were looking for a dog. Lord knows we don't need any more animals in our house, but we found this kitty. His name is Moses. We're going down to get him today. And 
my son Casey, he said, Mom, I really want Moses. And I thought, okay, well, Cheez-It can wait because we already have a Cheeto. But we're going to get Moses. And the whole idea behind this is that then Wendy and her family and I, and we're all packed into my truck like sardines, we drove up to Brewster to minister to a lady that about, what, a month ago, I think it was, Wendy called and said, my husband's in Oregon, but my friend is down on the highway with a flat tire. Her family's in the car. Um, called Trap because he was the only one I could think of that would have the tools to go. So we went down there. There was, we were the only white people down there. It was a little, but it was fun and it was exciting and it was just so wonderful because God was moving. So we went to her. Again, I was the only white person there with my sons. We went to her daughter's birthday party. They invited us to be up in Brewster in a pretty rough part of the area, but we were there. And then we stopped and saw our other coworker on the way down, and she said, well, are you sure? Are you guys really coming? Because we've always said, oh, we're going past our road. We're sorry. We stopped, and we had the most fabulous time, and we didn't get home until almost midnight last night. It was amazing. So I know I'm taking forever, but... The idea behind this is I asked Wendy, I said, do you have friends that would like to come to Livingstone Church? We're talking about starting up a new um, Hispanic service. And she said, yes. I said, let's work on it. So. It's going to be all hat for me with this microphone, but. Maybe the Lord has plans for me down in Wenatchee where my wife is at Colonial Vista. She had a hair appointment. We made a hair appointment for the 22nd of last month. Had to cancel it because of a doctor appointment the same day. So last Tuesday, she had her hair appointment. So I took her over to this other section, way over the other section of the facility where they have their own in-house uh, salon. And while waiting for her turn, this lady that was sitting out in the uh, uh, visiting area, we knew her from years ago, uh, we began talking and she asked me, did you know my son? I, I knew him. He had passed away about four or five months ago. And I said, well, I don't know him that well, but we had Bible study together. She said, what, oh, was he a savior? Was he a, a believer? Yes, he was. Oh, praise the Lord. I will see him again. She got to thinking, the Lord put me here to comfort the mother to know that her son was a believer. That's my God story. And I'll be short, I promise. <laughs> um... Wednesday night, Kids Rock. We've, I've struggled a little bit with it. As we've moved location from one building to another, we've, we've kind of lost a little bit of following of the kids. And um, some of the adults who really have vested their lives in these kids have also had to move on to other ministries. So I'm starting to feel a little bad about how things were going. And then this week... Um, I sent Mackenzie downstairs to sit with the kids that were waiting to be picked up with their moms. And uh, this one little girl that's been coming 
her mom picked her up, and they were talking about how much fun she was having. And uh, Mackenzie said, well, you know, we have church here, too, on Sundays. And the mom said, yeah, you do. And she looked at her daughter, and she said, would you like to go? And the little girl said, yeah, I'd love to come. She said, and the mom said to Mac- told Mackenzie that this is the one time, the one place that she's been able to bring her little girl and leave her, and her little girl is okay letting mom go home and leave her here. She goes, the mom follows her to school, mom follows her everywhere, but she is able to come here and be loved on and ministered to, and um, they're considering coming on Sunday mornings because of um, the heart and the spirit of Mackenzie and Tammy and those people who are willing to share God's love with that little girl.